Hey, what's up, Warrior? Jeff here from WarriorLife.com, and welcome to podcast episode number 477. So look, you and I both know that most people have no plan whatsoever to respond with their families to a forced evacuation scenario. And for those who do, the vast majority of them have never tested it to confirm its effectiveness. Well, last weekend, I had a chance to test my own bug out plan when I drove out of state to a firearms course that I was attending with some other preppers out there. This week, I'm going to share with you what parts of my plan worked and what didn't work as expected in the areas of my route selection, my packing plan, navigating during my travel, fueling up, and also dealing with dead stop traffic so that you can learn from my own test results. And hey, don't worry about taking notes because you can just download the handy little one-page cheat sheet that we whipped up for you covering all the main points from this week's show. You can grab this along with our other episode cheat sheets and some other training resources, all absolutely free in a special section of our website that we call The Loot Locker. And all you have to do is go to warriorlife.com loot. It's all yours for the taking. And now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training. Urban survival. Close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. Jeff Anderson here, founder of Warrior Life and Warrior Life Academy. And welcome to this week's broadcast. This is kind of a this is a fun one for me because I recently had a chance to really take one of my own factors in our S3 Warrior machine and really put it to the test in relation to my evacuation plan. So if you're not familiar with our S3 Warrior machine, it is the really the core engine of our Warrior Life Academy because it's a it's a methodical process of getting to warrior ready so that you're ready for any disaster crisis collapse or attack. And so there's we call it the S3 Warrior machine. The, there are three tiers to this. The first tier it forms the foundation, and that is the three S's, or not the three S's, but three B's. Of um, uh, So the three tiers are strength, skills, and strategy. That bottom level is strength, and that comes into brain, body, and backbone. About mindset, um, your level of being physically fit for whatever your the threats are that you're preparing for, and then... Your backbone is really like the intestinal fortitude. Like, how do you develop the grit that needs to go into dealing with hard times? The skills part is pretty much that's the second tier where everybody loves to be at. That's watching your YouTube videos and that's watching you know articles and taking video courses and and going out there and practicing stuff. That's 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 that that skills section there is learning the what you need to do to be able to face any of those threats that you might that you might be planning for. It's that third level, though, that's the more advanced level. And this entire system is based upon the military strategies that we've used for developing soldiers that have been basically from day one of basic training all the way through to career soldiers, special forces. And how do we how do we develop warriors out of clay, essentially? Right. So that, that top tier, though, is really where you spend most of your time after your initial training in the military. And it's where we really like to focus in within the academy. Now we have all like the skills stuff is all in there. We have videos, we have lessons, we have all sorts of resources for people to be able to develop whatever skill is assessed that they need to be able to develop. But that's that top tier of 
the first one is like testing your truth. Like, how do you know the skill that you just watched a video on, read an article about, or learned about from somebody, or the gear that you got? Like, how do you know that that will actually work for you? You don't. You you have to test it. Now, we do this in the military all the time, whether it's a mission or whether it's a training exercise. There's always an operations order. Like, we expect a certain thing to happen. We take the intel that we have. We have all, all as much data and intelligence gathering as we can possibly do, and then we get the best plan that we can come up with to be more strategic about it. And then we go out and perform the training exercise and or the mission. And then we do an after action review after that. So that's that top tier, which is test your truth. Make sure that you know this is actually going to work for you and you didn't just check the box. But then when you go to use it, your plan doesn't work. And then you gauge the gap. So you test the plan, you test your truth, you gauge the gap. And then your final element of that is to fine tune those things that you found were were either missing resources that you had or parts of your plan that weren't going to actually work for you in real in real life. And that's what we do in the military. And that's what we do with our members as well. So this was my opportunity to really test my truth. Now, as many of you know, I used to live in Texas. I moved to Florida to be with my schmoops, my high school, high school sweetheart. Uh, this is the worst state I could possibly ever move to when it comes to survival and preparedness. Uh, in Texas, I had I had evacuation routes in all three different areas. I had north, I had south, or not south, uh, uh, east and west. I had plans to get there. I had destinations to get there. I had intermediate stops to get in between there where I had supplies and all of that had to be redone when I moved to Florida. And so I do have a plan here. We do have a plan B and actually a plan C. Our plan B destination is relatively close to where we live. Our plan C, if you will, that one is outside of the state if we really needed to evacuate. Now, the state of Florida, I mean, you can picture it on a map. It's you know, there's only one way out of there. I can't go east and west. I have to go north. Everybody has to go north. It's the only way out of the state. And there's only a few roads that actually get out of there. So this past weekend, I was actually traveling to Alabama for a firearms course that I was I was doing up there with some friends of mine in the industry. So Jason Hansen, who is a former CIA agent, and Caleb Lee, who is a preparedness expert and a firearms expert, has a really amazing range up there, private range and some other guys within the industry as well. So we all got together and we just said, let's go have some fun. Let's go blow some stuff up and, and uh, learn some things. And so we went up there, had a great time, and I decided to, to really test my, my plan and drive up there in my Forerunner and see, let's compare some different elements and let me test my own plan and see how, how it's going to work. So there are five areas here that I am looking at, like I learned a lot about, and I wanted to share the things that went right, the things that went wrong, so that you can apply them maybe to your own plan and learn from my mistakes, uh, maybe even give me some advice for some other things that maybe I'm not thinking about. And that's the whole point of our Warrior Life Academy is that it is a shared experience. So I'm getting information from people within our community inside of there, as well as them getting information from me, from my experience as well. Like everybody has has different experiences, different backgrounds. I can learn from you just as much as you can learn from me. And so that's the way we really look at it. So if you have any tips here, I would love to hear them as well. So uh, one of the uh, 
let, let me go ahead and start off by route selection. So how it was actually going to get there. So this was about an eight hour, a little bit over an eight hour drive to be able to get up there. So the first thing I did was in route selection, I wanted to see where the state was going to send me if I were to evacuate. Where would it send everybody around me if I'm going to evacuate? Because I don't want to evacuate with everybody else, right? I want to get out on the road, get get ahead of the, the crowd, and I don't want to have to deal with all of that evacuation traffic that's happening up there. So the first thing I did was I went to the Florida, uh, I, I mean, I've been there before, but I, there was a really good graphic that I saw for the like the disaster instructions for, for Florida. But they have four basic steps they want everybody to follow in order to be prepared to evacuate. So step one is to fill up your gas tank. Now, I you would think that as many hurricanes as we've gotten in this state, that people would have gotten a clue already to not wait to the last minute to fill up their gas tank. I'm telling you, they don't. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a category one, two, three, tropical storm. It doesn't matter what it is. When people go to fill up, it, it's like it's the first time. Like, the, the lines just pile up at the gas stations. So filling up your gas tank, yeah, you should set out with a full gas tank. But if you are... Having to wait in line at a gas station, um, one, tempers are going to flare. I've seen this every single time. I've camped out at like gas stations and watched people. And people will, uh, the one thing about Florida is that the people that do stay, they, a lot of people have generators here because power does go out often during these storms. And so a lot of people have generators and so they need a lot of fuel. They go to the gas stations right toward the end and they come with trailers and pickup trucks and they have all these different cans and what they're doing is they're filling that up and then tempers start flaring because there's the whole it's not fair mentality like you're hogging all the gas and you're taking too long especially if people are really panicked and afraid and the time is taken away and if you're not prepared then you are waiting in line at the gas station and you're watching everybody in front of you fill up those massive tanks on those gigantic four four wheel drive uh, pickup trucks that they've got a lot of people have them out here and, uh, and the, the, the fuel gets depleted pretty quickly. So filling up your gas tank, I get it. That's why we always say, you know, you'll hear a lot of preppers say, always keep your tank half full. I don't know anybody that actually does that, that is just that methodical about it and that like that dedicated to it. What I tell people is you really need to know your destination and how much fuel it's going to take to get there normally, and then add 50% to it. So that's really what you need. It's not necessarily like you have to go to a gas station, but you do need enough fuel to be able to get you to your destination. So that's number one. Uh, the second step that they have is to stock your vehicle with emergency supplies. Um, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more here because I learned some things about my own plan uh, related to that as well. The third step is to listen to directions from local officials. And the fourth step is to know your evacuation route. So it's these last two that I'm really going to focus in on first when it comes to route selection. So the first thing I did was I went to the Florida disaster website that they've got there with those instructions. And I looked at the evacuation route, route maps that they have there. The first thing I noticed is that these maps are a freaking joke. They are an absolute joke. You can't even tell really where the evacuation, they, they highlight everything with the, like this pink, I don't even know, it looks like somebody finger painted it, like they had a kindergartner finger paint these lines on there along the evacuation routes, because it looks like every place is an evacuation route. So which one is the one that I need to use? I, I can't tell. 
you can't tell from the evacuation map map that they have on there. So that leaves you listening to local authorities. And that could be an obstacle for you. So if you're planning your route to be able to get out of Dodge and you start out, and if you haven't tested this, you start out in your route and it is different than the evacuation route, which it should be. I'll, I'll talk about that here in a little bit as well. But uh, you need to understand that where most people are going to go, that's one of the reasons why you look for where that route is, because that's where people are going to be told to go. You might go out on your route and then hit a checkpoint where they don't let you go that way. And so that's that's an option also that you might have to have to deal with along the way. We talk about these different obstacles in our in our training. And so that's the first thing is the information is horrible. And if you're waiting at the last minute to try and figure out what it is, then you end up listening to local officials, which are not going to necessarily give you the best advice. In fact, the recent wildfires in Hawaii, uh, some of the routes that actually were would lead people out of the danger zone, that people were stopped by law enforcement and turned to go back around, and they were turned into areas that were more dangerous that there were there were fires there and they were forced to go into the ocean but that and that was because law enforcement was telling them to go in a direction that was more dangerous so you can't always count on law enforcement being the 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 ones that are going to get you to safety all right now can they be good for information yeah they can like there might be a reason why like maybe there is a disaster that came through and it wiped out part of that road and they know that that's not there so so just you need to be able to use those checkpoints for intelligence gathering. However, you need to also be able to bypass them as well. It's one of the things that we did a uh, for the academy, we did a, a half-day workshop on your plan B route planning and destinations and prepping your vehicle. Like it was all about like the strategies for actually bugging out. And it was, it was a half-day workshop that we did. And one of those obstacles is our, our checkpoints there. All right. So first lesson I learned just don't even count on the evacuation routes there. However, um, the other thing I looked at was where would the GPS take me? I had my route planned, but, and it was based upon my, uh, actually my fiance's experience because she's lived in this state for like 20 some years. So that is, um, uh, I'm relying on her for like the sneaky way around everything. But so we had that route. And then we had the evacuation route. And now we had the GPS route. The GPS route um, took me in a different way than even the evacuation route did for my county. So you might not have GPS, first of all. So you, you can't really rely on GPS, which is why you need to have a route planned out to begin with. And then it might also, you might go to use that. And then all, all of a sudden, you're forced back out on the evacuation route from uh, law enforcement checkpoints and things like that. So my first choice was to, or for this test was to take the evacuation route. Like, let's see where they're telling me to go. Now I knew that the direction they were taking me was going to take me through too urban of an area. And I've been through that area because of concerts and just going to different places. And I knew that it was going to be too crowded to be able to try and go through there if I was waiting to the last minute. So as long as you can get out uh, preferably like in the middle of the night and you can get out ahead of traffic, then you absolutely want to do that. A lot of people are just going to like, oh, we'll leave in the morning or something like that. And so you've got to get ahead of that traffic. 
this was not a good planned route for evacuation because it seemed like they were just really funneling everybody into the major roads, which were, if there was an exodus from the city that, that's nearby, it's, it's just going to get piled up. But the biggest thing that I learned from this is that it was way too restrictive in offering me options to get around obstacles along the way. So one of the ob- other obstacles we talked about in a plan B workshop was about dead stop traffic. Like when the roads turn into a parking lot, how are you going to bypass those? And one of those ways is just basically go around the obstacle. So everybody is sitting there in traffic. They're all stopped. Maybe it's because, well, most likely it's going to be because people have run out of fuel and they're in the middle of the road. And then somebody's got to like, you know, you got to get them off the road. And then there are also the vehicles that break down. There are congestion points or choke points along the way. And so there are a lot of things that can stop you in your tracks and trying to get to safety out there. And so what I look for is how am I going to get around these obstacles? And I have a four-wheel drive. And one of the reasons why I got a four-wheel drive now is because I want to be able to go use that median if I can. So go right out into the that stretch of that stretch of land in between the highway or around like on the side of the road if I can get there as well. And my other vehicle would not allow me to do that as, as well as my, my forerunner will. And it's, it's specially designed for like off going off road if I need to. That doesn't mean that you have to have a four wheel drive monster truck or anything like that, but, but I'll, and I'll talk about that here at some point, I'm sure. But, but anyway, I needed to get around that area. And so I knew if I hit dead stop traffic there, that one, I could go off to the right, but there isn't much of a median on the right-hand side. So I have that area on the left-hand side of the left lane that's usually about one car width wide, right? It's for emergency vehicles. You break down, you get a ticket, you can pull off there, but it doesn't give you a lot there. And if there's a cement barrier there, a cement wall, then you're not going to get around that. And so it didn't allow me for any sort of option for bypassing those obstacles because in dead stop traffic, if I take that left-hand lane and I try to go around, it doesn't give me anywhere to go if somebody says, no, 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 not fair. You're not going any further. What's so special about you? That is going to happen, folks. It, I've, I've had this happen to me. Somebody's going to like veer their car out in the lane. They're like, no, you're not getting by here. You have to wait just like the rest of us do. Well, why? Right? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, if you're broken down, if you're just too, too stupid to stay in, then to, and to get around this obstacle, then let me around. Well, people aren't going to let you do that. Now, if all you have is that one little space there to the side of you, then realize that you are not going to, uh, that there's going to be confrontation. And that is, you're going to have to figure out how you're going to deal with people who are pissed off and not going to let you bypass. The best way to do it is to avoid it altogether. Getting ahead of traffic is, is, is is preferred uh, resolution number one but number two are you going to break out a weapon what if they break out a weapon are you going to use some other weapon to be able to get by there are you going to be able to diffuse the situation to be able to talk your way out of it you can be able to barter your way out of it what are the different things that you can do to be able to bypass that obstacle well i want to avoid it altogether so i'm going to look for a better route out that is going to give me more options to be able to give me a wider berth. So if I've got a big stretch of land in between us and it's not a cement barrier in an urban area, now I can just go off-road and somebody's going to really have to work at it. If they want to run across the field and try and stop me in my tracks, well, I'm just not going to stop. <laughs> they can stand there if they want to, but I, I we'll play chicken, but I'm pretty sure my forerunner is going to win that 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 uh, 
that's going to win that that confrontation there. So, so that's the first thing I noticed is that um, I needed better options to be able to get around obstacles and navigate around traffic if I need to. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is, uh, and and this is a real silver bullet, is don't let GPS or the authorities tell you where to go. Uh, this didn't work out very well for the people in the second twin tower in a nine 11 because they were told to stay where they were for, for safety's sake. And those, a lot of those people died. Others didn't listen to authorities and they left the building and they lived. So you have to be very careful about these, these other options that you are, uh, that you're, that you're looking at here and who you're listening to. This is why you have to have that plan. All right. All right. Let's talk about uh, the packing plan. So this really comes down to what are you going to take with you if you have to evacuate at a moment's notice? So the one thing was, I mean, I was going up to her for a firearms course. So I brought a bunch of firearms with me and I always have my concealed carry pistol on me anyway, but I was bringing uh, my rifle up there. I was bringing some, some fun things to be able to go up and shoot as well as all of the ammunition that I needed when I was up there. Now, I tell people that if you have a plan B location, that is where you should have your your survive in place weapons. Like you should have something that's there that you can go to it rather than bringing it with you. Um, I do not have uh, currently because I'm still working out my plan. I don't have my other weapons in my other destination and I wouldn't be able to access them on this route anyway. So long story there. Anyway, the. I had I brought all this stuff with me, so I had more stuff than I thought, and I had less room than I thought. I wouldn't be able to, if I had to evacuate, I wouldn't be able to bring all my firearms with me. I wouldn't be able to bring um, all the ammunition that I want with me. Uh, I've got a, we have a new dog now. He would not be able to be sit comfortably in there. If I had to take other people in my vehicle at a moment's notice, I wouldn't, it would have been a lot harder to be able to do that as well. So I definitely overpacked for the trip that I had. Um, the biggest problem that I saw was that I had lots of loose, small stuff from food to trash to safety gear that I was bringing with me that wasn't part of like my normal packing stuff. I, I brought a lot of things with me. I brought some gifts for all the guys. Like I brought more stuff with me, but I had a lot of loose stuff all around. Now, when I left, I was pretty well organized, but I, there were still like when I was, when I was there and I was coming back or getting ready to come back. It was just, it was a big blob of stuff. So what I learned about the packing plan was that, uh, one, I need a bigger safe for the firearms that I leave behind because I currently don't have a safe that's large enough for everything that I would need to leave. And I would not, and I would have to leave it. One of the reasons why people stay behind is they don't want to leave their stuff behind, especially if somebody is an avid gun collector those are some very expensive things to be able to leave behind for looters to get to or to be exposed to the elements if your if your house is is destroyed. So having a fireproof safe, something that I can store everything in, that's something I'm going to be feel a lot better leaving those things behind rather than trying to put it all in there. Because if I do have to take other people into my into my vehicle, um, like my family members, if if we're driving up in convoy then some stuff is most likely going to have to go. Am I really going to leave like some AR-15s and other weapons alongside the road there? I, I would really rather not. I would, I would feel much better leaving them be home. So I need a bigger safe. 
it's Christmas time. If anybody wants to get me a bigger safe, I won't, I won't turn it down, Santa. But so that's one thing that I, that I uh, learned from this. Um, the other thing is about all the little things that were lying around. So this was something that I, we designed for um, the X-Bob bug out bag that we, that we designed. We have the bug out roll that uh, doesn't come with it. It's an added feature, but it's a way to, to use micro organization for all those little things that might end up in the, bat- the bottom of your pack, or you need to be able to get to them quickly, but you don't want to go searching around for stuff, right? Well, so I'm big into organization of things. And so um, what I did have for my vehicle is I have some installed Molly panels, like in the windows. They're, uh, Victory 4x4 is a company that I really like, and I've really been having fun outfitting my 4Runner for overlanding. Uh, little by little, I'm getting getting into it more and more. Victory 4x4 is a company that's out there. I think it's just victory4x4.com. And uh, so I've been getting those Molly panels, and I put those up, and they worked really well for some of the gear that I had there, but I didn't have enough of them. So I do have more Molly panels to that I'm going to be ordering now for so better micro organization of those little things. Even if it's just um, some of the things that I use are the Molly tactical pouches, so they can go right on these panels, and you can stuff stuff inside of them. The other thing that I use are seat covers that have Molly straps on them so I can put tactical pouches right on the seats themselves. So it's another place that you can keep micro gear, especially when you have other passengers that are in there. They can store stuff on the back of the passenger seat or the driver's seat. So there's just more opportunities there for for micro organization. Now, the other thing I tell people is that you need to have your totes with you. Like those plastic bins and containers are a great way to organize um, your gear, but also to hide your gear. So as we're traveling along, if we get stopped, if we have to stay someplace, if we if people are looking inside of the vehicle, I don't want them to see that I've got a bunch of survival gear in there. So I'm very cautious about what I store on these Molly panels and what I have inside of bins. I put the stuff inside of bins, like a bug out bag and things like that are there to help organize the gear. So I have like the vehicle gear that I know I can leave behind if I leave the vehicle behind, but it's also something I can take out the bin if I have things like I have to uh, fix a flat tire or, or uh, well, yeah, just things that I'm going to need like that are vehicle-based, other solvents that I might need. They're all inside of one bin that I can use. And I know I don't need to go fishing through there if I need to um, evacuate the vehicle and use an alternative means of transportation or just go by foot. But these totes are really great. They're really great in organizing everything because they're stackable. I recommend that you don't get the really huge ones. I mean, you will need them for your bug out bag, but you for other things like food, they're they're thinner, uh, stackable things. I like I've got a bunch from I've got a bunch from different companies, and now I actually have a a food d. uh, freeze dryer from Four Patriots. So I have a year's worth of food from Four Patriots. They're in great stackable bins. I have some other companies as well. We use Ready Hour, and now we're making our own freeze dried food for our family with the freeze dryer that I got from from Four Patriots, and I'm and I'm loving it. And I'll put a link to that because uh, that's something. I mean, it'll I'll do this in another podcast, but really, it, like freeze drying your own food, uh, man, is. It's expensive to get started with it, but you will save so much money if you're really serious about this. And so, but I love the adding those plastic totes that you can really stack up inside of there. I like the thin ones 
that can slide in because I've one of the Molly panels that I'm getting actually is going to be a top level shelf that I can use for organization. Keeps it out of everybody's sight, but it also allows me to really put some um, some of those totes in there. I think that are, that are going to work out really well. So definitely use lots more totes to be able to organize your stuff. The other thing that is really important for you to understand here is that in relation to your to the gear and this big blob of stuff. Uh, this is one of the reasons why everyone has to have their own bug out bag. That's you. If you're if you're married, you have a partner. It's going to be your spouse. If you have children, they have their own bug out bag. If I mean, my dog carries his own stuff. He's going to carry his own food. We have we have uh, something for the dog, but everybody needs to have their own. So the lesson that I learned from not being very well organized and having this big blob of stuff is that if we if I did have to bring people over, it was going to be jammed in there. It wasn't going to be organized. It was going to be open and exposed, and it was going to be uncomfortable for people unless I really threw some stuff out of the vehicle. Now, it's the throwing stuff out of the vehicle. If you have to either evacuate your vehicle or if one of the vehicles in your convoy breaks down and you have to, like, let's say you're, you're going up with your spouse. We tell people you always take the two vehicles, if you have two vehicles, take both of them together. And then if one breaks down, you have another one that you can you can get into and just move all your stuff over. But you're not going to bring all of your stuff over. So my girl's uh, vehicle has like her bug out bag in it. If we need to, that's all you need. This is why the bug out bag is the pillar of your entire survival gear plan, because it should have everything that you need in there to be able to survive for a short duration of time. Typically, plan- people are planning for three days. Well, if something something happens and we need to all go into one vehicle, she could just grab her bug out bag and throw it in mine. And we don't have to worry about any of the other stuff. Like if we don't have room for it, it doesn't go. If I need to throw stuff out, I can throw out everything that I have in my vehicle except for what is in my bug out bag. We have I have a gun bag in my bug out bag. It's one of the other features that we designed for the X-Bob. So I know I have the the weapon that I need is hidden and stored in my bug out bag using my gun bag. Same thing for her. So she can just take that. We don't have to worry about any other weapons coming over or anything like that. Grab the bug out bag and it goes in there. That's it. It has everything that I need. It's, it really simplifies. The other, the other thing about this is that it simplifies the thought process. I'm big into binary frameworks. So this or that, hot or cold, live or die. Like the closer you can get to black and white decisions and frameworks, the much less mental strain that you're going to have to deal with during a time where you really need your wits about you. And so if I know I don't have to think about what I have to pack because it's all in my bug out bag, we can just grab and go. We don't even have to think about it. We can just get on the road, right? So defeats procrastination, defeats having to think about this, the mental, the mental burden and everything. Okay. All right. Now let's talk about navigation. So when I was taking the route, uh, I took the gazetteer with me, which is a, it's a roadmap. It's kind of like a, it's like a topographical roadmap is what it is. It's kind of a combination of a topographical map and a typical roadmap that you would see. So I took my gazetteer with me to be able to uh, take those routes. And I ripped out the pages anyway, that I always have like those pages where I can uh, just kind of follow them. I don't need like the giant book and keep looking for that same page and everything. So I did take the gazetteer with me and I had planned on using that to follow my way up there and really identify some of 
the locations that I originally identified on the map as potential choke points, as other areas that I might have to be concerned about. Maybe they're in uh, more water areas that I might not have as many ways to get around obstacles. Uh, but what I found uh, was that I got kind of lazy and that I had to rely on GPS to be able to get up there. And uh, I pretty much just, it's like, uh, well, yeah, I just got lazy, plain and simple. So here's the thing though, is that uh, one, it's very easy to get lazy. You're dry, if you're driving a long distance, and especially if you are trying to navigate different areas, if you have to take a side road or something, it's really, you, it's really easy to get lazy with knowing where you are on the map. And so I was way too reliant on GPS. You might not even have GPS. If the satellites go down or if power is down, you, you might not even have GPS to be able to even rely on. Um, the, th the other thing I learned was that I need to have a better, better map, map system to be able to stay on track. So in the, with the Gazetteer map, like I had it, I had it folded and next to me, but eventually it just got put down on the side of one of the, one of the seats. And that's when I just ended up just using the GPS. Like it was kind of difficult in traffic, especially when I'm traveling at 80, 90 miles an hour. It was hard to really kind of stay on track with where I'm at. Like it, I had to keep looking down at it and everything. So I need a better system to be able to know where I'm at on the map. And I, I was trying to figure out how to, how to do this. I had thought about putting in like my, um, an iPad. I'm, so one thing I'm looking at is like an iPad holder that I can attach to the console multi panel that I have here. I'm looking at different ways that I can, I can use that, but again, I might not have power there. I can keep it. I can keep it charged from the vehicle itself, but I still want to have some sort of a backup that I can use my paper maps with. Well, when I was in the military, I was a Ford observer uh, with the uh, light infantry. And but one of the things about being a Ford observer is there is a special section of Ford observers for aerial work. And so I ended up going to aerial observer school as well, which are basically scouts for Apache helicopters, the attack helicopters. So it's for, for intelligence gathering, but it's also, yeah, I mean, it large, it's basically doing the same job I did as a forward observer. So going out either in front of enemy line or right on enemy lines or behind enemy lines and being able to call in fire from there, be able to in, gather intelligence, uh, long range reconnaissance, things like that. But so in going through flight school in Alabama, for aerial, aerial observer school, I had a, I, I found actually gear. I didn't even really realize was even, was even out there, but I had, when you're in the cockpit of, uh, and I flew OH 58s. And so there's a, uh, like a, uh, it's like a, it's a leg, it's a leg clipboard is what it is. It straps around your leg. And that was what I used to use for the maps that when we were navigating, in the helicopter so that you always have it right there that you can look at it. Now I can put that on my leg if I need to. And it's, it's there. I mean, it's gonna it, it works really well. I didn't even think about it before. So I took out my, my leg clipboard and I've got that ready for the next time to go around. All right. So, so you, you should really have some sort of a way to organize your map and have it visible to you. Even if that is some sort of like a magnetic clip, or 
just like a, like you would have on the refrigerator. Even that would work out probably even better than certainly better than what I found when I was I was heading up there. All right. Um, I can say that it's best to have a navigator. So one of the things when I was flying OH-58s was we had the pilot. So as an aerial observer, you're not like an actual pilot pilot. You don't go through like a full flight school. You go through an abbreviated flight school. So you're kind of like the the navigator. You still have to be able to fly the aircraft. You still have to be able to, to land it. You still have to be able to take off. You still have to be able to fly it. You're the co-pilot. But you're also the navigator. And so it would be best to have a navigator to be able to be in the driver's seat, be able to respond to obstacles, be able to be more strategic about where we're going to go um, by looking out and seeing the the space around me and the dynamics of the, the situation that I'm in. But having a person there that always knows where we're at, that is going to be key. That's going to be key. So it made me think about what is our convoy plan? Who's going to go with who? Um, because right now I didn't have... Um, I have my my son that will will be going with me, but he didn't come with me on this plan on this on this trip. So it's definitely I think I think it'd be beneficial to have him kind of go that route with me, and we test out that as a next stage here. But it is best to have somebody that can navigate with you, so that you can keep your eyes ears open for everything that's happening around you. Right. The other thing about this though is that that I also was going back to my OH fifty eight days was that. You always have to know where you are. Now, it's easy to get lost in a helicopter. Um, it can be easy to get lost. It can also be very easy in a helicopter to figure out where you're at. Uh, on a map, you can look for some, some key landmarks that are on there. The easiest way to do it is to go to a, just find like, you can look out in the distance and see where there's a water tower. And you can just go to the water tower and the name of the town is printed on the side of the water tower. So that's the easiest thing to do when you're trying to figure out where you're at. But you should always know where you're at. That's in a helicopter by on foot. Uh, I loved land navigation. It was one of my 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 best skills that I had in the military was, was being able to just give me a map and a compass and tell me where you want to go. And I will take you through jungle, I've, jungles, desert, you name it. I can get I can get you there. Um, driving, I was not as astute. I, I was mechanized for a little while. I did not like being in a mechanized unit and navigating in, in mech. I, I was not, that was not, I was not a happy camper. I'm much better on my feet. I'm much better in a helicopter, but you always have to know where you are because if you do get separated from your convoy, then maybe it's you and your spouse that are convoying together. And then you get separated because one got stopped and now you're you're farther apart. Well, you should have rally points already pre-planned, but then also you might need to know you need to know exactly where you are so that maybe somebody can come back and get you, or uh, you know which rally point to get to from there if you're if you've got a big distance be, between you. But the the important part here is that you have to know where you're at. And there were certainly times where if I didn't have my GPS on me. Because I got lazy, let's say that you're using GPS, but then all of a sudden it goes out. Well, now where are you? Do you know where you're at? Would you be able to communicate with somebody else in your convoy to let them know where you are? Or if you have your phone available, would you be able to tell, or do you have to just go searching to figure out 
where you're at and go off off route maybe. So that that can be a big problem. It can cost you time. It can cost you. It can cost you your life really. So you always have to know where you are so that you can rally back together. Now on the way back. I did note which towns would work best as rally points. So we had our planned rally points, but this was my first time through some of these towns where we were at. And it was it was a really good exercise for me to really place them at uh, on my map in and we've got these these invisible mark or what do they call them? They're not I guess they're like invisible ink markers, right? Like they're not out of the cap and crunch box. They're like legit things and just you need know, a black light. And so those rally points, we can put those on our map. Nobody can see them unless you have a black light. And so I noted where those were, like some of these best these best points along the way, as well as choke points. Those I just put in red on, on the actual map there. All right. All right. So that was navigation. The next thing we're talking about is the fuel plan. Fortunately, this is one of the things that worked out really well for me. So I have uh, 14-gallon containers with a a fuel pump like handle on it, just like when you go to the gas pump and it has one of those, those, but it's plastic, but it still works. It's 14 gallons. And I took a few of those with me and I did not have to stop for fuel along the way. So that's what I was, one thing I was really happy about was that I did start out with a fuel, with a full fuel tank. And that if you can do that, that's what you should absolutely do. So even if you don't have the ability to carry that much fuel with me, like I brought 28 gallons with me there, but I started out, uh, with a full gas tank. All right. So if you can fill up at home, start off with a full gas tank. So I did that. And then on the way, instead of stopping at the gas stations, because I'm assuming that those are going to be huge lines on evacuation routes, they're going to be empty fuel. Like that's not going to be an option. That's why a lot of cars pull over and they just, they gum up the works. They turn it into a parking lot there. So I don't want that to be me. So I brought my fuel containers with me on top of my vehicle. Now these are large containers and I do have a good roof rack from Victory 4x4. Again, I don't get anything from them. I just I just like their stuff. I did a lot of research and I really like their, their stuff. So I've got a full roof rack and I was able to put both containers up there as well as other gear if I wanted to. And they were there and I didn't need any other fuel. I was able to get there perfectly fine with that. So that worked really well for me. So you learn from my experiences here in that you should always have a way to fuel up that doesn't rely on a gas station. So have enough fuel for, if you're planning on taking two vehicles, enough fuel stored at home that you can fuel up both vehicles and get the, get the hell out of your area. Now, if you can carry more with you, that's going to be ideal as well. You want to keep those hidden. I have mine inside of a roof bag, like a roof, roof rack bag, so that nobody can see that it's in there. And then as I refueled, I, I found places along the way that people weren't going to see me fueling up because I don't want people to see that I'm prepared and that they're not. It's one of the things we talk about a lot in our survival planning is that you want to be tactical, but you don't want to look tactical. Well, if you have fuel that is just on top of your vehicle, people are going to see it. And if they are out of fuel, they're going to want it. What are they going to do? They're going to ask for it. If you say no, they're going to beg for it. If you say no again, they're going to demand it. If you say no again, they may just take it potentially by force. And so you need to have the right fuel plan to be able to get out of Dodge there. So I just I keep those 14-gallon containers filled. It was good timing, actually, for me to be able to use these because each year I put I fill them back up. And uh, well, I use them in my vehicle. And then so this gave me an opportunity to use them. And then I 
empty them all out in my vehicle. And at the beginning of each year, I go ahead and fill them back up, put some fuel stabilizer in them, and that'll last you up to two years. I just do mine every year. All right. So fuel plan, check. Worked, worked well for me. All right. So now the traffic plan. So I did hit dead stop traffic along the way there. And, you know, as I've said, like there is going to be confrontation along that evacuation route. And this is why route selection is so damn critical so that you can try to avoid that. And I, that's in that route selections that I just talked about. That was um, I, I really think that that's probably one of that and the fuel plan are one of the most critical things you can absolutely do ahead of time that you need to test it, test your truth. But I think this this is why it is so critical. Now, the second route that it took. So coming back, I took the route that we had planned. And that was a way better option for us to be able to use. And it's not an evacuation route, but there were lots of stretches there that I was able to, I mean, there were, I, I noticed there were a lot of 18 wheel trucks. So obviously I think truckers have also discovered that there's this way through Florida that maybe people don't know about that is not the traditional highway route. But there's lots of wide open spaces uh, between towns and they're and they're smaller towns. So you're not in more urban areas. So on the way back, I didn't take the evacuation route back. I took the uh, our chosen route and that had like it wasn't a highway system, but I was able I would be able to go around obstacle one. There would be less traffic. So I but it also gave me more options to be able to go around things. So it is absolutely the, the best thing to go for. Now, what I did go now, what I did do along the way there was I, I noted different choke points that were there. And when I noted choke points, so some of these were like, I noticed that there was a bridge that went over like a swampy area. If I'm on that bridge and something happens, like there's no way for me to typically get around that. Now I do have a, um, I have a kayak, a foldable kayak. And actually this is uh, the company actually is, somebody that we have in our our discount section of our website. If you're a Loot Locker member, which is free, by the way, it's free to be a Loot Locker member. You can go to warriorlife.com slash loot. And if you go to the discount section there, we have a, now I could, I could go off into a waterway if I needed to with this, with this kayak. Uh, it's nothing that I would probably, probably do, but I did note different checkpoints that were there. And then what I did was I looked for alternative options on the map for me to be able to bypass things if I absolutely needed to. So, for example, I would look for where is the nearest railroad, because maybe I can go along the railroad tracks. Where is a power line that I could use, like a power, like the major power lines? And so they oftentimes have roads alongside those that are there for service vehicles. They're oftentimes gated. So another reason why I like some of the breaching gear that I have with me. So I have a, like a lock uh, uh, what the hell is the thing called? Cuts locks, lock cutter. <laughs> with I can't, I can't, I just can't think about what it is this morning. But um, ba- bolt cutters. So I have bolt cutters with me. I have my machete, my guardian machete with me, which cuts through steel. So I have breaching uh, breaching options there as well. I also have like hooks that I can drag things with. There's lots of different things that I can use there. So, but that is a a thing that you're going to need to plan for ahead of time. So I looked for alternative options on the map if I needed to, if I'd be able to get to those things. So that was another option that I had there. All right. Um, 
So that, that wraps everything up for the lessons that I learned. I want to hear from you. What are some other tips that you've picked up along the way for those five different areas that I just talked about with route selection and uh, packing things up, navigating to along those routes, uh, breaching obstacles? What are some different things that you've learned? Because I'm, I'm, I mean, okay, I said, tested my truth. I discovered where my gaps are. Now I'm filling those things in. And that's really critical because it's it's one thing to know where your gaps are. It's another thing to do something about them. It's, it's one thing to know what you should be doing because many people don't even have a plan, but you know you should have a plan and you think you'll figure it out along the way. Like if, it, if, if push comes to shove, you'll just make it happen. Well, that doesn't always happen like that. And so you really do need to prepare it ahead of time. And then when you have your plan, test your plan. Find out where your gaps are and now you go in and you fine tune it. So for me, I have some gear that I have to uh, plan better plan for, um, organization that I need a better plan for, and then selection of route stuff that I still have a little bit of fine tuning to do there and re- redraw my maps and how we're going to get there. And then some other things along that I need to figure out there as well. But but really, this was a really powerful exercise for finding out what worked and what didn't work. And now I want to hear from you. How Have you tested your plan? What did you find that worked and what didn't work for you? Um, please go ahead and leave your comments wherever you are getting this podcast. You can either go over to YouTube if you're watching the live stream. If you are on the Facebooks, you can check it out over there. We stream over there as well. If you're listening to the podcast, you can go ahead and leave it in the comments on our blog or warlife.com where our podcast section is. But uh, but this is this is our opportunity to be a community, right? The Warrior Ready community. So go ahead and leave your comments there. And until our next broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying live like a warrior. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.